Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Defense! Defense! All the hard work, let's go! College football today. The stage is set for Monday night. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Clemson. Which team will win? Welcome to College Football Today, brought to you by Bet DSI. We talked about the Clemson offense that's putting up dynamic numbers with freshman quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Talk about this Clemson defense that's only giving up 92 rushing yards per game. More importantly, only giving up 181 passing yards to opposing offenses. They entered this matchup plus five in turnover margin and are holding opposing offenses, guys, to 28% on third down conversions. I mean, I think that's the biggest characteristic of Brett Venables and this defense when you could force three and outs, you're giving Lawrence a short field, and I think that could be the matchup as well. They held Notre Dame to five of seventeen on third downs in the in the playoff win. Yeah, Joe, I, I think we we sort of um, we maybe lost a little sight of the Clemson defense yeah. in the second half right. of the year. You know, we spent a lot of time we spent a lot of time talking Michigan, right, and, yeah. until the Ohio well, State statistically, game statistically, right? Statistically, Michigan was ahead of everybody else, and we love Don Brown and the yeah. job he does with the defense. But very quietly, Clemson, maybe we were fixated on the evolution of Trevor Lawrence, but that defense has gotten better and better and better. And one of the statistics, sort of a, an offshoot of what you mentioned yeah. about run defense, run defense always matters to me. Clemson offensively, didn't get a chance to say it in the last segment, but offensively, number one in the country yards per carry, 6.7 yards per carry. Defense? Number one in the country, 2.4 yards per carry allowed. I mean, they are so good at the point of attack. Now, no Dexter Lawrence. We yes. know he's suspended for this game. Kind of wish we would have seen, you know, the full complement of, of Clemson defenders. But that defensive line, I mentioned it last week, if any unit in the country can handle the loss of an elite player, it's the Clemson defense. So Christian Wilkins will be double teamed, but I think he'll step up. Look for the guy next to him. Nick, look for Albert Huggins to maybe get some one-on-one looks and uh, make some plays on Monday night. Yeah, Xavier Thomas comes in, makes some yeah. big plays as a yeah. freshman. You know, star. It's, it's really unusual to be playing Alabama and saying the other team might have the best defensive front on the field. But they do. They really do. Uh, and, and their defensive numbers are so good. And, and remember this, when you have a high-scoring offense – your defensive stats tend to go down. You, you get ahead, you substitute. The, the, it, the stats don't matter as much. You've got to be really dominant and really dominant, with not just with your first group, but your replacements, your substitutes on that front to be able to maintain that type of consistency and stopping the run and keeping people from po- uh, scoring points. Because the biggest thing about the, that have hurt defensive stats uh, in recent years is the higher up you score points, the more you're willing to sub people and to, and to, and to take some of the edge off your defense. You see here a great offense by Clemson, but the defense even better. And so that, that that's one of those things that you see as a real plus for Clemson. They play good defense even when they're scoring points. Some people lose their edge. Yeah, and when you look at Brett Venables, to me, yeah. that one of the, he doesn't get enough wreck. I know he's getting the <laughs> I know he's getting the price tag, right? Yeah. He's getting two and a half million as a coordinator, but for a big game D coordinator, we've heard oh, totally about Kirby agree. Smart. We never hear him mentioned in the same breath. As Kirby Smart, and when you think about the type of talent that he's lost, guys like Grady Jarrett, guys like Vic Beasley, Shaq Lawson, Ben Boulware, and each and every year, they just seem to progress in terms of sack totals. Third down defense, last four years, 27% average. I mean, unbelievable in terms of what he's done recruiting and then coaching that talent up. Well, how about beyond recruiting, guys? How about recruiting and retaining? Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of these defensive linemen could be playing on Sundays right now, but elected instead. We talked in the first segment about culture at Clemson. Part of the advantage of that culture is kids are like, 
yeah, I'll play in the NFL, but I don't mind spending my senior year here in Clemson, South Carolina. And that, that was the case with Austin Bryant. That was the case with Cleveland Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins. These kids would have been first-round draft choices last year, second round at worst. But dominant at the point of attack, like the speed of the linebackers as well. Kendall Joseph, yes. Trey Lamar do a great job sideline to sideline. Again, kids that don't get a lot of attention. If Clemson is going to be vulnerable... And I think the same thing will apply when we talk about Alabama's defense in the next hour. If Clemson is vulnerable, it's going to be in the secondary. That unit, I think, can be beat and uh, could be taking a backseat to the Alabama wide receivers. I do think Mullen's a first-rounder. I think he's an outstanding cornerback, and that's not one they will attack. But if you're going to beat Clemson, I think you do have to have explosive plays out of your wide receivers, which is right down Alabama's alley because they have some receivers, not just one guy, but a group of receivers that can really make plays and a quarterback that's really, really accuracy. When I saw uh, the quarterback last week, what, 24 of 27? Those kind of numbers, and and neither quarterback throws interceptions a lot. I think that's where I think you're going to have to beat Clemson because of the number of people up front that they have. But you brought up something very interesting. I, I agree with you. I love to see these guys stay for their fourth year. Maybe because we're all older parents, we have families that we really don't want to get into our professional life. We wish we could go back to college and enjoy college. I think that's something about college that that is just not, it's not professional. It's not quite the business and they're going to enjoy it. And I think most of them might look back and say, gosh, I wish I had one more year. And that gets me to a real thing I can't stand. It's all these guys that are choosing not to play in bowl games. I'll be honest with you, it irritates me a lot, the loyalty to these institutions, because most of these guys would not be going where they're going without what that school helped them get. And so, again, it is nice to see guys stay there fourth year. I don't blame a guy that leaves. I, sure. I, I can't put myself in anybody's shoes and their financial needs, where they come from, and what their motivations are. But it is, uh, it, it's warm. Uh, it's the fuzzies, the warm fuzzies when you see these guys sticking around and being part of their home guys and their hanging out with their guys and their school colors and all the. Because I think once you get out of college, it's no longer about the school colors and the school fight song and the, and all those, the, the walk before the game and all those things that you have uh, when you're playing great college football at two institutions like this where football means so much. I think when you look at Alabama's offense attacking this defense overall, I go back not to last year's game because I just think the quarterback, Kelly Bryan, handcuffed them so much. I go back to that game two years ago in Tampa where Lane Kiffin uh, built that offense and Sarkeesian took it over. They utilized a lot of different formations to get O.J. Howard involved, to get other playmakers involved. Ridley against that secondary. So now a lot of pressure on this offensive staff to really, for Alabama, to really attack that Clemson defense to create those one-on-one opportunities because if if, if Tua or Jalen Hurts don't have enough time, yeah. and that's what we saw that Clemson front seven, they got to Ian Book. They forced those quick, short, intermediate throws underneath coverage where those nickelbacks and linebackers are right there at the point of attack. Unless you could create those deep ball opportunities, I think this game favors Clemson's defense in that regard. Well, and Coach brought it up too. 52 sacks for Clemson. No team in the country better than Clemson. No. When you look at the numbers, uh, up and, and down. Guy. It's not one guy. It's not it's just not. Pharrell. It's, no, it's, it's not everybody. one guy. And I'm glad you brought up Brent Venables too, because again, we talk about retaining players. How about retaining coaches? Now he's paid very well. He's right. not He's not going to miss any meals down in Clemson, but, but he could be a head coach. I, I know that he has had people kicking his tires and his agent has been contacted about head coaching opportunities, but right now he's like, listen, I have a great thing here. I have a great thing. I'm a young coach. There might be time to be a head coach down the road, but I'm happy where I'm at. One of the quick things I wanted to bring up is uh, such a dichotomy here between Alabama's offense and Clemson's defense because Alabama has started fast pretty much every Every game game. this season. First half, they've been dominant. Last week against Oklahoma, right, 28-0, and then in control throughout the rest of that uh, matchup with the Sooners. Clemson this season... 14 games in, they've given up 76 first-half points. So, you know, something has to give here. Clemson's been dominant defensively in the first half. Alabama gets off to fast starts. So which one is going to win in that uh, little game within a game? And I'll tell you, it's totally interesting, too, because one of the big games will be defensive front of Clemson versus the offensive line of Alabama. Uh, This is going to be one of the storylines that we've got here and how they play against each other. How will Alabama do uh, against that defensive front? Uh, Easily the best defensive front they've seen all year. Coach, when you, and when you look at this matchup as a whole, in terms of the defense, I mean, 
I think if you're Brett Venables, I want to put pressure on Tua. I, I want to attack him. I want to blitz him. I want to see if that ankle is is legit. We saw his comments after the semifinal win. He he sort of indicated that he wasn't 100% really. So now we know Notre Dame didn't get to him enough. Uh, Oklahoma didn't get to him enough. But this front seven can take some chances early on because they know they have the type of offense that could go score for score with Tua should they fall behind in this matchup. I think a lot's going to be contingent on the staff's comfort level with those defensive backs. Can mm-hmm. can you leave them on an island? Are you comfortable with them in I one-on-one they, I situations? I I, I'm glad Coach brought up Trayvon Mullen because yes. he's one of the players when you talk to NFL scouts on that defense – that's not a defense, not in the front seven. Mullen is the one kid that has an opportunity, comes out early, does well in the pre-draft process to be a first rounder, be one of those first defensive backs taken. But he is a bit of an anomaly this year. It's a young defensive backfield. Are you confident with those guys in one-on-one situations and kind of pinning the ears back of the front seven? What's, what's interesting, too, is that the first half line for Alabama, you mentioned about them jumping up early, is the first quarter is Alabama's favored by five points in this quarter. And I think if I'm a Dabo Sweeney and I win this this coin toss, I want my offense on the field because I want to dictate the tempo right. early on. Right. I don't want to fall Land behind a, a freshman qu- quarterback. I want to rely, I, I want to get three, and then I want to rely on that front seven to yeah. carry me through. I mean, yeah. that's the way I see it playing out. Interesting. I think that's going to be a factor, too. I think we saw against Oklahoma, I think they, they did not, they deferred when they had the game. Uh, and put their defense on the field early uh, in their playoff game, and it was hard. It was a it was something. It was a decision. I wonder if they should have made to defer and not get that o- offense, not the defense, on the field. And I think Clemson may have the very same concern. Yeah, it's interesting too because we see both. You see dominant defensive fronts, and we talk about the Big Twelve, yeah. right, where they spread you. But then they don't have the type of defenses to shut down the run and really be physical at the point of attack. Well, we got two offenses now in Alabama and Clemson that they spread you wide. They challenge you vertically. They have quarterbacks that can run up tempo. They could also play a more methodical uh, uh, type of offense. But they have the front seven to really dominate. Why can't we see this? And what's funny is one of the coordinators – Coached in the Big 12 for Bob Stoops, yeah. and now he's taking that to the ACC. So why can't we see that in the Big 12? I think that's asking a lot, though, Joe. I mean, you, <laughs> I you have understand. to really be able to have a haul talent-wise. <laughs> that, to me, and I, that to me is the one difference. When you watch film over and over again, and when you watch uh, Saturdays of football, the one difference I see largely in the SEC, but then also when you talk about Clemson out of the ACC is at the line of scrimmage. I mean, there is such a difference, visually a difference, speed. Uh, The athleticism of a Christian Wilkins at his size is something you're only going to see at the very elite programs. And you got to remember, just because you're wanting to get pressure on the quarterback doesn't mean you have to blitz. You've got to watch this game and see how many times can we get pressure on Tua just with four-man rush. Yeah, I mean, four-man rush, they have a great defensive front, and most of the time they get sacks. It's in a four-man rush. Now, when you bring five or six, then you begin to put your defensive backs on an island. Uh, but when you have great defensive people with a, with a great first step and great moves, you can get pressure on a quarterback, especially if he's not a great mobile runner or he's got a little bit of a banged-up uh, ankle. You want to see if you can get that pressure on a four-man rush. Yeah, that's Georgia did it. I I keep going back to that SEC title game. You know, that was the one game. I'm not saying that Clemson can automatically duplicate it, but Georgia's defense, which admittedly was not at the same level as 2017. No Roquan Smith in that game. Uh, DeAndre Baker is a true next level player, but Georgia, in terms of personnel, took a step back under Kirby Smart this year defensively. Offensively, not the case. Defensively, they took a step back. But they had schemes and they had the speed. Now, people on the Alabama side could say, well, Tua was really banged up in that game. And that's a fair point. So I don't know with the heeled ankle what he's going to look like. But you can put pressure on that Alabama offense. And I think that's exactly what Brent Venables is going to try to do. How important, Coach, is it because Kirby, we've seen Kirby's defense make plays against Alabama. Now, tendencies, if there is anybody in terms of knowing Nick Saban and that staff's tendencies, it was Kirby Smart because he coached there for a period of time. Does that is that as important of a factor? Because I look 
of both games. I think Kirby Smart understands he understands the strengths and weaknesses of Tua. He coached against him in, in terms of scout team, so he understands what matchups or where he struggles or types of coverage. So that's maybe where he had an advantage. Where maybe Brett Venables, well, even though Venables now is coached against Alabama four straight yeah. years. But where maybe another coach doesn't have that type of advantage for understanding the staff and being in Tuscaloosa. I mean, it's it's all a matter of degrees, of degrees of, of how much you have an advantage or disadvantage. Because, again, 14 games of video. Uh, Venables has been doing this a long time. He was he was mentored by Bob Stoops, one of the guys that knows. I coached against Bob back when he was a defensive coordinator at Florida when I was a head coach in the 90s at Auburn. And, and Venables has known what he's doing a long time. So he'll make the necessary adjustments that he needs to make. Uh, and it, it, But I think there are degrees in which you might have a little better knowledge, and that's a fact factor in the game I still think the biggest factors are the number of athletes again they're putting on the field at at, at Clemson and able to play with those athletes that could compete with um, with Alabama's athletes yeah, quick prop bets about, you know, just in yeah. terms of what people are looking at offensively and defensively. We talked about ETN. Hunter Renfro, 41 and a half total receiving yards. I would take over there. I would, too. I would take because I, would I think too. he's the guy. Well, that I think all could, of the attention could, is going to be on the outside to Justin Ross and to T. Higgins. I think all of the attention. And underneath... I think that's where Hunter Renfro could have a 60-yard game. Well, here's the thing, too, Coach. Uh, T. Higgins, uh, 53.5 receiving yards, and Ross is only at 69.5, which is, I mean, if you just base those and you think about the type of offensive production, that's I'll ask this question: 500 total yards. They're leaning to an under in this ballgame. I think it's going to be an over. To me, it comes down to, uh, I, listen, the kid's going to have a great career, Patrick yeah. Sertan, but, yes. but but he's a true freshman. And, and he struggles and, and in man-to-man coverage. He does. And, and so he's a little raw. Don't want to beat the kid up. He's no. a young kid, and I think he's going to have a great career. But uh, I think a lot of this is going to come down to who is matched up versus Sertan, because I think that's exactly where where uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to try to go. As a coach, do you, if you see a guy or a freshman that's out there on an island, are, do you have any issue just go and play after play after play at the same player, hoping that, you know, he never adjusts? Or, or do you want to mix it up in terms of even though you know he's out there, you want to save it for just a, a perfect game situation? No, I think I think you always look at the talent level at a certain position and attack talent versus talent. That overrides sometimes game plan. A backup comes in, you know what his he can do. Sertan's there, he had a bad game last week, or maybe he's not able to do certain things. Another one is, and you begin to attack him. I think that's always part of the game plan because I think really uh, the one thing every good play caller does is try to match talent to talent and make sure if you've got a mismatch, it gives you an advantage just by not them having somebody out there over top of you, but your guy being better than their guy. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Keep it where it is. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Private Eyes, great song. We talked about Clemson's offense and defense. Going to turn our attention to the dominant Alabama offense that's averaging 202 rushing yards per game. They're also passing for over 300 with Tua and Jalen Hurts at the helm. Tua's had a fantastic year, completed close to 70% of his passes, uh, 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. He has playmakers like Jerry Judy on the outside. This is the biggest passing effort, Rich, 
for an Alabama offense since prior to 2009. You look back in 2014, they averaged 277 through the air with Lane Kiffin as the OC and more importantly, Blake Sims as the quarterback. But this is an evolution in terms of Alabama, in terms of being able to stretch defenses, especially at the quarterback position. It changes everything. I mean, the entire dynamic, everything we've learned about Alabama in the past has changed because of this offensive shift. Lane Kiffin really did start to usher this in, but now the personnel is in place with Tua Tungavaloa under center, such a difference maker. And really, Jalen Hurts, I talked a lot in the offseason with folks down in Alabama who said this kid may not win the job, but he is progressing as a passer. He's taken on this challenge. He's really putting in the time. Whether that benefits a different program in 2019 remains to be seen, but those wide receivers, there are a lot of them. Henry Ruggs. Jerry Judy, Irv Smith at tight end, Devontae Smith, who caught the national championship game winner a year ago. And oh, by the way, they still can run the ball. They still can go all old school between the tackles with that trio of backs. So it's a pick your poison for the Clemson defensive staff on Monday. And I think the stakes, you mentioned it earlier in the show, the stakes have gone up so high at Alabama where you've got to play for the national championship about every year if you're going to keep that program moving at the pace it is. And you can't do it unless you have a dominant offense and defense. I mean, if you play like Nick Saban's history, great defense is always what we coaches want. It's like having a pitcher that always throws strikes and it doesn't ever get outside the plate. You always got a chance to win when you play great defense. Uh, sometimes offenses can be fickle. They're, they're not hitting the corners of the plate. They're not quite got on the money uh, and you play great defense. But anymore, you've got to score points and that comes from explosive plays. And, uh, and if people try to overplay the run, you've got to be able to throw the football. What's interesting, too, is we talk about players just coming in, plug and play. We've seen coaches now. Brian Dable came yeah, in. Yeah. We saw Mike Loxley come in. We saw Sarkeesian. Well, he, he struggled in the national championship game, but they still put up uh, 30 points in that loss right. against Clemson. So this uh, the, these coordinators in this offensive attack that Kiffin built back in 2014 seems to be almost interchangeable where they just take the talent, they coach it up, and they it, it's everyone has a strength and weakness but it's amazing because coordinators are like pitchers they have to get into a rhythm and these guys don't seem to miss a beat in terms of each and every season how much credit does nick saban get for that coach because i I think it's clearly great defense don't turn turnover margin great defense turnover margin whether you throw it a little bit more or run it a little bit more i'm not sure that matters as much uh if you play great defense which i think nick's always is going to dabble in defense that's what he has always done that's what he always will do uh but he is less likely to sit in the staff beating on offense and watch every little scripted play for a practice so he's going to be a little more receptive to uh to guys that will will either run the ball more or pass the ball more uh because i do think you recognize that you've got to score points in this day and age you can't just be a defensive-minded coach uh like you could really in the old days where you you didn't mind averaging 27 points a game or uh, as long as you played great defense because that would win championships and anymore it's it's and i think clemson understands that too you got to play play aggressive explosive dynamic cutting edge football on both sides of the football it's funny because everybody wants to be like new england at the NFL level. Everybody wants to be like Clemson and Alabama at the collegiate level in terms of being able to be there each and every year but it's the grind How do you get through the grind? How do these coaches get through the grind and we'll get coaches take on it to get to that part where now it's self-sustaining for the most part. Once you win six national championships Mm -hmm. uh, as a head coach at the collegiate level, players are buying in because you want to be there in the college football playoffs. So now at the end of his tenure, Nick Saban's sort of of riding it almost. But Davos Sweeney now is, is building it. And he's building the foundation. But these are coaches like Tom Herman wanted to build it at Texas. This is a uh, Dana Holgerson wanted to do that at West Virginia. Jimbo wants to do it at Texas A&M because the, the success hasn't been there consistently each and every year. So it's hard. That to me, I, I think is, and again, I'm, I'm in no position compared right. to the coach to, to weigh in on this. But, uh, but as I watch from afar, the most amazing thing to me, especially at Alabama and now Clemson doing the same right. thing, is how do you keep young men who have been up the mountaintop motivated year after year? I find that to be so difficult because they've been star athletes since they were very young. So they've been fed a lot of accolades for a very long period of time. Now you get into a system, a process at Alabama – 
where they win titles, certainly SEC titles year after year, national championships. How do you keep those kids motivated? Or let me ask it this way. Are you looking for the right type of personality that you know you can motivate to be to be up every year? Well, I think there's no question that when you're you're recruiting the very mark the marquee player, the player that everybody wants, by the time that player gets to his senior year, he's really keyed into being the best at what he does, playing for the best, being for the best. Uh, and that's what you're looking for. I, I still think having worked with a lot of coaches over the years, and even my my father goes back, I think for 62 straight years, we've had a Bowden as a head coach in college. Yeah. Guys like Nick Saban, who's, it's their energy. It's their drive that, that lead everything. Coaches come and go. The players come and go. When that coach loses his edge, when that coach can't quite get up in the morning and have that same drive, I don't think every other coach on that staff could do it. I think it's that guy. That's why the players get replaced every year. The the office, the coaches get replaced every year. There's six or seven coaches at Alabama that change every year. I think if you change Nick, it might change everything. You change six or seven of those, it doesn't change one thing. And I think the dynamic, and, and I think I think Dabo's in a different phase of his career. He's but but he's doing the same thing. He's bringing he's still bringing that energy. He's still bringing that energy that he brings to his staff and doing that. But uh, uh, Nick would love to tell you it's a process. It is a process, but I think it's a process that you have to have a personality like his that makes sure he makes sure he's on top of everything to make sure it doesn't nothing. We haven't mentioned it all yet. And I think it's something we talk about during the show is Loxley's already got another job. Yeah. Is that going to affect this game? It, I mean, two years ago when Lane Kiffin got a job and left, Loxley's going to stay. We've seen it not affect teams. We've seen it affect teams. But that's an interesting factor as well. Can that type of dynamic, the change during the postseason play, make a difference? Yeah, we saw Manny Diaz stay for Miami. Didn't help with that loss against Wisconsin. We saw Kirby do it with Georgia when he was on staff. They did win the national championship the year that he stayed. So it's interesting. because It is an interesting because dynamic. Because I feel like it. the defensive coordinators seem to not miss a beat. It's the offensive guys where... They're, they have one foot in, one foot out. Kiffin was on the way out. We yeah, saw it in yeah. that. In that uh, Didn't even get the coach semi, in the national championship. But the semifinal yeah. uh, against Washington, they were they won that matchup by 17 points, and it was a lot closer. It was 7 nothing Washington yeah. in the first half, and everybody was saying, what are you doing, Lane? You're only winning this game by he was running, and that's where Henry and Scarborough had a big day. It's hard, not to, yeah, it's hard not to be straddling both lines. You have a new employer. You're being paid handsomely. In the case of Mike Oxley, yeah, he's, right. he's going to Maryland. And and especially in, in this day and age, now Coach brought up a great point during the break, which was, you know, you're trying to assemble a staff. I mean, there's a mad dash to, to get your coordinators, right. get yes. your assistants. But now with, with the recruiting cycle now, including December 19th this year, you're now also trying to save recruits. You're trying to, you know, the old staff was recruiting a kid. Now you want to save that class. So there's a lot of balls in the air. Yeah including a national championship try uh, uh, in a couple of days. It is, and, and you're talking about an offense that's converted 53%. 53% third downs. on downs. third yeah. downs. Unbelievable. That's, that's un, Unbelievable. I mean, as a, as a defense, that's a, they converted again. They converted again. After they converted like six in a row, you, yeah. you're putting your hands on your hips, and you're going, what can we do to stop, stop these guys? Well, I mean, they got 24 first downs they average per yeah. game. It's because of the third downs they're making. Right. And I think Loxley, we're talking about this and debating it, but I will say this. In my mind, to some extent, he's already passed that test. The offense was phenomenal last week against right. Oklahoma. When the defense faltered some, they kept coming back. I was amazed at when they had to just run the football, when the defense knew they were going to run it. I know Oklahoma's not the best defense in the world, but when Alex Alabama, you know, we're going to take time off the clock and we're going to run the football and then we're going to finish the drive. Loxley was clearly still locked in uh, to the game, locked into preparing because that's the toughest thing. And I think an offensive coordinator has a little bit more time, good time responsibility because scripting practices, scripting your plays, trying to get a game plan. Defensively, you're reacting to everything. You react with a plan that you can't do hardly too much beforehand. You got to react to what what are they doing differently this week? The offensive coach has to work every minute the entire week or two before to put a plan together. And and I think Loxley, it, to his credit, did a great job last week of having an offense that showed up when the defense struggled some at the end. Yeah, what's interesting when I break this game down for Alabama's offense, I do feel that Jalen Hurts will be a part of the package. Mm. Seven touchdowns, two interceptions. I go back to two games in particular. You look at the the win in Death Valley, 27-23. to 23, Eric Dungy, 
a, a mobile quarterback that gave that offense some issues. They had to account for him. And then that game in College Station, even though Kellen Mond threw for 425 yards in that loss, he's a mobile guy. He's a rush for more than 100. Yeah, so that game. so yeah. the, you, you would have to think that Hurts will be a you part think of this. Hurts is a better athlete than Tua? I don't know if he's a better athlete. Uh, it's close. It is. I think because he's a better he, runner. I think he's a better. Other than the injury, too. The, it, I think with the banged up ankle, he's definitely going to be a little yeah. more mobile. Yeah. Right I, think he's a, I think he's a better quarterback in terms of recognizing when he sees a running lane. Right. Because he hasn't just done it once. He's done it in multiple games. Look at the game against Georgia. Two years ago, on the road in Death Valley, they were up 3-0. He busts a 35-yard touchdown run to really break that game open. He did it in the national championship game against Deshaun Watson. That's what led to uh, Alabama having the lead and Watson having to lead that you know, team You know back. what he has, and really both has quarterbacks great vision. do? Great vision and great instincts. Mm. I, I think he makes a quick decision when it's time to leave the pocket, when the rush is going, when he needs to extend the play with his feet. Jalen Hurts makes that decision very quickly and takes off. Now, if, if he's tested in a 40, he's not the fastest. No. He's not Kyler Murray, put it that way. Uh, but he makes great decisions in the pocket. I don't know if we'll see him. I, I think uh, I don't know if there's a sub package specifically for Jalen Hurts. I think this is to his game. Do, do you? I do. I think it's to his game, barring obviously right. the unfortunate I, injury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that would. Be I, I would agree. That I don't think there's a plan after the second series going to use uh, uh, Hurt. Hurts, but I, I do believe because of the ankle, you could probably see him this week, and that and that you better be ready to see both of them. I don't know if Clemson has to have a different game plan for either quarterback that they're that different, or the offense changes. There are some differences in, in what the quarterbacks tend to do in situations, uh, but I don't think that I don't, I don't think Alabama, like you said, I don't believe Alabama will say okay after the third series we'll go with the second quarterback. I just think he knows he's got to be ready, uh, and with the pressure Clemson's able to put on the quarterback, there is a I don't know if it's a more likely than not situation, right. but you could see two quarterbacks because yeah, of that. Yeah, I think I think maybe situational type of plays, maybe like a long third down and seven or third down and five in, in plus territory at the 42, you might see Hurts because of his ability just to break contain. We'll see. I mean, that's the chess match that, that will play out. I will say this about the advantage maybe for Alabama that I think when you look at both offenses, three backs. We talked about Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs, who's mm-hmm. really come on in recent weeks. He's a tough between-the-tackles runner. Damian Harris, Najee Harris took over that game last year. ETN, a bulk of the carries, even though I think Feaster will get his share of yards. Not the same level the of depth. Fresh, the yeah. ability to have fresh legs in the ball game at all times, running behind that physical offensive line, especially if you have a lead, can be a factor and a plus for Alabama's offense. I, I was going to take a different angle, which is depth at wide receiver. You know, over the years, we're, we're accustomed to seeing great next-level wide receivers for Alabama. You know, the Amari right. Coopers. Right, um, the Calvin Ridleys, but typically it's one player and then some complementary parts, you know. But this year, you have multiple candidates to be number ones. Jerry Judy was the big recipient, right. you know, wins the Bolitnikoff Award. He was the main guy, but Jalen Waddle, you know, true freshman, every bit as good as Justin Ross this year. I mentioned Devonte Smith, Henry Ruggs. There are so many candidates for those quarterbacks that I'm used to saying over the years. Alabama's deep at running back. Right, because Nick yeah. has always rotated two, three running backs. But depth at wide receiver, that's something that I'm not used to, and that's one of the things that has really helped the uh, passing game this year as well. Yeah, I think when you look at the Alabama wide receivers, the one MO this year that maybe we haven't seen in years past is that big, tall wide receiver. I mean, Julio Jones, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, I mean, these wide receivers, Judy is about six foot, yeah. tops. We have uh, Waddle at 5'10". Rugs at six foot tops. So you, when you create one-on-one matchups, you want a wide receiver like we saw a few years ago, Mike Williams, that catches the football at its highest point for those jump ball opportunities. Can that be a factor in this ball game in terms of handcuffing to a, should they should they roll coverage in this matchup? Well, I do think you've got to look at you can be a shorter receiver if you're going to outrun them. I mean, you've got some guys who have great speed. When I was recruiting receivers, I want tall guys. Everything's about a basketball player right now because you got to remember when you want to have an explosive play or you need big plays in a game, you don't have to be open. You just have to make the catch at its highest point and your high point to be higher than the defensive back's high point, uh, and you'll make the catch unless you've got a great speed receiver who is in man coverage or when you can put enough receivers out there, whether they're playing zone 
zone or man, you're going to get one-on-one and you outrun him. And I think they've got a little bit of both at Alabama. You think they run up-tempo early on? I, I know they, they favor an up-tempo, but I mean flat-out up-tempo to wear out the opposing defensive front seven because we saw both defenses struggle in terms of the second half. In, not last year, um, not this year with uh, Clemson and Notre Dame, but when Alabama was running up-tempo and we've seen Clemson struggle with up-tempo type of attacks where the two-minute offense gives them some issues. Look at South Carolina. Look at Syracuse. Do you, could yeah. that be a factor in this matchup? Not in the second half. I mean from the get-go to wear out the opposing offense, uh, defensive Jake front Bentley seven. Jake threw, I think, for more than 500 yards in that game for South Carolina, albeit in a loss. But yeah, I, I could see that happening. I, I, I Listen, I think there's going to be that uh, coach mentions, you know, you're going to take what the defense is going to give you. I think there's going to be a desire to have balance, so you're going to see the backs. But I, I think this is going to be to his game. I really think this is going to come down to a battle of the two quarterbacks. You know, you're going to have compliments in the running game. This is going to be Tua versus Trevor Lawrence. I, I think whichever quarterback is crisper, tighter, less likely to turn the ball over. That team is going to win this game. And I, I think this is going to be Tua's game. I really do. I think they're going to lead with the pass and, and play with the, the run of the back. See, when Tua came in last year in the national championship game, he wasn't the guy. Right. Uh, Jalen Hurts was the guy. But in the first couple of series, he didn't really come on and light the world on fire Correct. in terms of Georgia. He had a busted play that really allowed them to maintain the possession, and that led to that that score, and that's what ultimately led to the overtime period. So we'll see. I mean, that's going to be the factor to play out in this ballgame as well. I want to see Trevor Lawrence with the bullseye on his back. When we come back, we'll be talking Alabama and Clemson. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and Terry Bowden live from Studio 34. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. That is, uh, I think that's Rush, isn't it? I don't. I just watched the documentary on Rush. I love documentaries. The guy. Yeah, I got that one. Rush by way of Toronto. Are you at the game or just got a good feeling? No problem. Now you can bet from anywhere, anytime with the all-new MyBookie mobile betting platform. With the MyBookie mobile platform, you'll enjoy the safety and convenience of at-home betting when you're on the go. Try it out today. And you'll never miss another winning bet. Head on over to mybookie.ag and open an account with the promo code FNTSY and mybookie will match your deposit up to $1,000. That's right, $1,000. That's mybookie.ag, promo code FNTSY. Again, free money. Free money. We're going to put talk in a thousand. You get a thousand. I mean, you can't beat that. <laughs> well, well, and then man. listen to Lisey's picks and you'll turn that two thousand into like well, four thousand. We're going to get into the pick segment in a little bit. But Rich and I have been on fire. We both hit our best selections of the bowl season. But uh, we're starting a fantasy sports network scholar athlete award to be given out in June of 2019. We're joined by one of the candidates, Alex Malgin from Rumson Fairhaven High School, had a dynamic year this year. 1,732 rushing yards, 23 rushing touchdowns. He's an all-Group 3 selection from the state of New Jersey. Alex, congratulations on, uh, on being one of the candidates and uh, on a senior season that takes you to Middlebury College next year. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, when you see this dynamic here in terms of, you know, the state of New Jersey, we've Rich and I have seen it, players uh, going to bigger schools like, you know, Rashawn Gary, I mean, Tell fans what it's like to play in the state of New Jersey because the East Coast doesn't get enough love from college football fans. Yeah, I know. And I, I actually like there's there's a lot of people from like our area, Monmouth County, especially that that go and play at these big level schools. And and it's really amazing to be at the high school level, but playing against this level of competition that you really can't get anywhere else. And, and it's fun to like be able to work towards that work to be able to play at, at that level and play against the, the top talent in the country right in your home state. 
Yeah, New Jersey's been a feeder system for college football around the country. I know Michigan State had uh, uh, Shalik Calhoun. Yeah. Was a kid from Middletown, Monmouth County. Uh, my kids are all uh, Shore Conference kids as well, so we know the uh, the territory and the athletes. One of the things that I'm always intrigued by, Alex, is the balancing act. There's a lot that you're doing in the classroom successful, on the field successful, community service. What is your key to making sure that your schedule doesn't overwhelm you? I think it's all the discipline that you learn from playing the sport. I mean, working around practice schedules. I mean, every athlete that I've talked to in my high school and and around, everybody says that you're more on top of your schoolwork when you're in season. And I think it's because you have to be on that schedule. You know when practice is. You know when your games are going to be. You you're forced to work in when you get the the schoolwork done. Like there's not as much free time to leave it up into the air and uh, like like lose that time and procrastinate, be on your phone like the normal stuff kids do. You know, like I have this hour before practice. I need to get to the trainer an hour before practice. This is the only time I'm going to be able to read my book. So you have to do it there and you just, you're, you focus because you have to. You benefit from structure in other words in that case. I got Mm -hmm. you. That's great. I mean, the one thing that I'm impressed about in terms of your career as well is you started out as a fullback. So Mm -hmm. versatility, not just playing one position. And in terms of college, That'll help you on the next level. Talk to you. Talk to me about you know how you started as a fullback and how you transitioned your game in terms of a, a dynamic senior season. Yeah. So at Rumson Fairhaven Regional High School, where I go, we we call like our school a program. It's a program, and and when you walk in at, at freshman or sophomore level, you're there to like help the team in whatever way you can. So I wanted to be on the field, and and we had a good running back and a great running back, and Matt Vecarelli, and behind him was Petey Lucas, who's over at Lehigh now. Matt's at Holy Cross, like, and the guy before him, Charlie Volker, at Princeton right now. So a lot, lot of big shoes to fill in. So I wanted to be on the field with those great players and learn from them. So I knew the only way to get there was to bulk up and be, and play fullback and block for them and honestly being seeing from the blocking position like what needs to be done as a fullback it allows you to, when you regress or progress to a halfback to know like what's going to happen in front of you and I, I think that definitely helped me move to the tailback you know, a small percentage of high school athletes in any sport are ever going to be paid for it you know mm-hmm. going to be professional I, I look at high school athletes and what they learn as something that they could use as a stepping stone for the rest of life. What are some of the things that you've learned as a high school athlete that you think are going to translate to college at Middlebury and to whatever career choices you make as well? I, I, I think it's the hard work and discipline that like you put in behind the scenes. Like we we're a very successful program. I mean, winning state championship five out of six years, like I, I'm very proud of that to be a part of that and to be a part of these teams and, and, Everybody gets to see what happens on those days, those game days. But, I mean, it's an entire year's, four years' work of stuff that goes into that. So all that behind-the-scenes work, the stuff that you don't see, I think that's like you're not going to, in life, not everybody's just watching you like go to your job every day. That's the stuff that you have to do just because that's that's your job. And and I think working working hard with your teammates and stuff, building that chemistry, that that's what transfers. Not necessarily the actual game, but what it takes to perform at that level when it's time. Coach, when I look at Alex's game in terms of the mentality, I mean, fullbacks, you know, I mean, those are the guys that you want at the front level, you know, so for him to start out as a fullback and transition reminds me in terms of his early play of like a Mike Allstott type of player and now has transitioned in the short to intermediate passing game. But talk to me about how you would utilize a player like Alex in terms of skill set. Well, you know, I saw Christian McCaffrey when I saw you play. That's the player I kind of identified you with, and I've been recruiting at college for, for 25 years. Uh, you know, a, a power back that has the versatility to, to make people miss, to sidestep, to, to jump, jump, hop, uh, skip around somebody. Um, and I see that type of player that you are. Uh, and I was just curious, is there, are there, is there a player that you think you would like to emulate or a player that you've always looked up to that you felt like, I want to be like that guy? Well, um, before my two state championship games, I actually watched a lot of uh, a football lives. And one, one a football life that I kept watching was Walter Payton. And just uh-huh. like, 
how how he gave everything he had to every run and just like the power he had in it and i just wanted to emulate that in my play and 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 use that power holy cow that was my hero Walter mine too Fain. it has Sweetness. about that i used to say it's not that he rushed for nine miles that he that said he got, got up after every 4.2 yeah. yards of those nine miles that made him such a great one but great person off the field which i know you are a great person off the field as, as well as a great person on the field, uh, but that's a that's a, a good one there. Have you always thought about college football? Because I yeah I know you're 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 not the biggest guy, but you're big. I look at McCaffrey, two hundred five pounds. You're right. about you're over two hundred pounds. And the one great thing about the running back position, as you know, and I know, because I was a running, I was a walk on at West Virginia back when I played, is that height is not really a factor uh, when you're a running back. In fact. Sometimes if you're at that mid-level height, you're getting hit about the hip level, and that's the best way to be as you're a running back. You don't see many of the tall Dickerson-type running backs anymore. Yeah, actually, uh, my friend the other day was joking in class. Like, he said, I was going to try to tackle you, and this kid's like 6'5". He was a receiver on our team first year playing, and he, he tried to, like, bend down. He was, like, at my shoulder level. <laughs> so he's like, to get down to tackle you, that's crazy. Yeah, so, so and then I can lower even lower that. And then also, I had an all-senior offensive line, mm-hmm. and, like, these guys were huge. Like two, the both tackles were like six five. My guards were huge. Uh, a great center holding down the front, and like to be able to hide behind those guys, they they can't see you, so you get that extra second to break free. Well, it was funny. We we had Marshall Falk in for much of the month of December as one of our guests, and one of the things he said was uh, height matters very little. What matters most is the strength of your lower body. I mean, if you have leverage on opposing defenders. And you're able to use that leverage and that lower body strength. You're you're basically unstoppable at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I love you bring up Walter Payton because Walter Payton was <laughs> uh, was my childhood Sweetness. hero. Oh yeah, I mean uh, one of my first book reports in grammar school yeah. was his book Sweetness, and I loved him not just for what he did on the field. He was remarkable mm-hmm. on the field, but he was such a good guy and such a big part of the community, which it seems like you are as well. Where does that come from, Alex? Because there's so many things you could do with your time. You can spend more time in the gym, mm-hmm. right? You can spend more time with your buddies, but you're out in things like Habitat for Humanity. We're looking at your resume. Where does that come from? Does that start at home with mom and dad? Yeah, I think so. I, I think we have a, a great community back where I'm from, and, and I think a lot of people who, who care about each other. I'm also a part of a, a mental health association called Long Live Lax, uh, dedicated after a friend we lost to suicide. And uh, a couple of us friends got together, and, and we, we wanted to turn that, that energy and frustration into something positive and hopefully make a change. So we raised over $50,000 to put into a multi-purpose awesome. wall in, uh, in Fairhaven for a lacrosse pitch back and any other sports that you can do and and use it as a symbol that like that for hope well kids that are struggling you know more than anything i think we see that all the time i mean you know with depression uh what they want to know is that they're heard mm-hmm. that people are out there hearing them and and their peers are hearing them which i think is fantastic and this is the epitome of what a student athlete is absolutely I mean, we've seen we, we all talk about you well, know the power five conferences yeah. and kids going to school just to play football this is the epitome of what a student athlete and going to college is all about. And that gets overlooked sometimes in, in terms of just the, the landscape of college football. Well, and, and he really is a testament in terms of all student athletes. Just in the to kind of dovetail, Joe, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about Clemson, Alabama, right, because yeah. that's the big game on Monday night. Well, Christian Wilkins won the Campbell Trophy, yep. correct? Which is, which is like the academic yeah. Heisman. So even at the level where you're looking at next level potentially high draft choice uh, uh, high draft choices in 2019 there are kids like Christian Wilkins at Clemson who are still bringing it in the classroom and bringing it in the community Christian Wilkins was a uh, was a grade school um, substitute teacher yeah. you know so again the, the concept of the the dumb jock I think is way overused when and, it comes to uh, today's student well, athletes to, to piggyback off of that just he's the first Campbell Trophy winner mm-hmm. to play in a national a national that. championship wow. game so all, that, yeah because we are a little more accustomed to those winners yes. being from Ivy League schools and right. to see it come from a powerhouse is awesome yeah now you need, your academics are important to you right now um, football ends I don't care if you play pro ball or just college but 
have you thought about what you're going to major in or what you're going to study? It's going to be rigorous a little bit to put all that time into athletics, but also devote what you need to your academics. Yeah, in school, in high school, I've been very interested in my economics courses. So I'm definitely thinking about taking economics in college. And then also, I really like psychology. So I'm thinking about that, too. Well, that's great. I mean, in I terms psychology. of the running backs, I could tell you this. I'm going to, Rich is going to laugh at me, but go back to the tape. We talk about sweetness. A couple of my all-time favorite running backs, Eric Bieniemy. Who's being mentioned? Yeah, for, for head Jets. coaching jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a he's a college football Hall of Fame uh, candidate as well. Colorado. He was about five seven, had thighs the size of this uh, this table. <laughs> and Carlos Snow from Ohio State, those yeah. short running backs. So that's what it's all about in terms of having the love for the game as well. Mm-hmm. It's not about playing in the, at the next level. It's loving the game of football and what it teaches you to do. And I can tell just from your game tape and from what you're doing in terms of society that you're a winner on all aspects. We'll break this game down in terms of Alabama-Clemson. How do you see this matchup playing out on Monday night? I don't know. I think Alabama is known as Alabama for a reason. I, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna get it done. I, I just think that Tua Tua will have more experience under his belt, and uh, I, I I just I don't see how they could take Saban down. Wow. Interesting. It's interesting to get the – I'm always curious because he's in the, the, the culture, you know, yeah. in the locker room. I'm always curious, like, in the locker room, is it split or is everybody all into Alabama? What's the mindset in that locker room amongst your peers? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think everybody's very opinionated on, on which topic it is, but I, I think the majority of people would, would go with Alabama for this really? game. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Or at least out of my friends. Do, do, do your friends get tired of hearing about Alabama? Because we get to this point where it's almost like, you know, you, yeah, you know, they're, they're, we, we've seen them for so long. They've won their titles. I want to see someone else. Do you hear a little bit of that? Have people grown tired of the dominance of Alabama football? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that people have gotten gotten tired of they it. They respect it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, especially we respect it because we, we like aspire to be that Alabama to keep showing up year after year in the state championship games. And, I, I, I mean, national championship games are obviously bigger than that. So but, for Alabama but at your to do level, that, that, level, that is yeah. the equivalent. That's mm-hmm. the equivalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah sure. so I, I think that. I think that like we'd, we'd like to see ourselves as Alabama, yeah. so I, I'd support them all the way. Greatest memory? I mean, when you look back, someday you'll you'll be a successful businessman. You know, in your forties, when you look back at your high school days, what do you think uh, will be the one thing that says, "Man, I'm glad I grinded uh, with my teammates." I, I I honestly have to have to say that it, it was our sectional championship game against Somerville. I mean, the year before. Uh, Somerville in that sectional championship game we played at Rutgers they broke our streak of four straight we were looking to get our fifth straight and I know those seniors that 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 weren't able to go out on that win they that hurt them for a while and and us as juniors moving on to that next level a lot of us played as sophomores and a lot of us started as seniors so we wanted to get back to that level and for us to get back to that exact game against the same exact team and to be able to come out with the win I I mean that was very special for us I don't think I'll ever forget that I mean we worked out all every day for that for the entire year and and that was a really special moment I mean going on and winning the group three uh, central south sectional group three bowl game that was very important too but I I really think that 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 was like a climax of my high school football career because like that that was by far my best game ever like 50 carries 271 yards and four touchdowns yeah I I like slept well that night huh (laughs) yeah yeah not really I actually woke up in the middle of the night real sore fired up I had to to take a warm bath so I could relax my muscles and sleep at night 50 carries coach I mean uh, we're going old school with that type of uh, workload it's funny we we don't see that hardly anymore. The old days when the Bo Jacksons and the, the Ron Danes and all the years where they carried it 30 or 40, 50 times. But I wanted to ask you, you don't get where you, you've gone so far in football without the head of a lot of people. Mm. There are a few people that you'd like to recognize that just say, thanks, man. That's your why I'm here. Yeah, I'd I'd love to say thank you to my mom, dad, my brother, and my family, obviously. But the coaches that have brought me through and the friends that have have helped me through like the tough days and stuff. Everybody everybody helps each other out, and if somebody's down, like the collective people help you get up, and and that that has really helped me. I, I got a lot of good guys around me that that keep me on the right track, even when I'm down. They they help cheer me up. So without that, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. So. Uh, also, I'd like to frank, thank my Uncle Frankie for coming to all my games and supporting me there. That's great. I love hearing that. You see, that's what it's all about, too, the family culture. Yep. 
Which he, already, he already thanked his offensive line. He knows what to do. He's already <laughs> those saying. big uglies, right? Was Senior would be able players. to do it without those big uglies. Well, at the NFL level, they buy them all watches. You know, yeah. thanks for making me. You know, you know the MVP of the year. You know, do you take? Do you do anything for those big uglies? <laughs> I give them a lot of big hugs, but I don't really have the deep pockets enough right now to do that. But I'll, I'll give them some hugs and kisses when I can. Quickly yeah. before we go to break, you 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 rooting for a team in this NFL playoff? Um, well, I'm actually a Cincinnati Bengals fan, so so they're not doing too well in the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs right now, but I don't know. I, I think the Bears are really hot right now. All right, the we'll Bears see are if the Bears can get it done against the Eagles tomorrow afternoon. When we come back, we'll be talking about that dominant Alabama defense. Keep it where it is. 